0: welcome to first presbyterian church of san antonio on this beautiful winter day we're glad to see you it's good to have you all here it's been an interesting week here in the church aside from the weather and everything like that this is this has been a strange week because just this past tuesday we we celebrated a memorial service in this church a service for dr arthur allison who was a wonderful long-time member of this congregation and today We're going to be holding a memorial service for Lloyd Jean Williams who was a long-time staff member of this church and a friend to many of us and that will be held today at 3 p.m. I I know that many of you all were expecting that to be on Friday but because of the weather we had to postpone that until until today and so I hope that you can work that into your schedule if that was something you were planning to do on Friday or even now if it's a new opportunity for you and the reason I bring this up is because Whenever we gather in the church for a memorial service, whether it's on a weekday or on a Sunday, I always remember something that one of my mentors said to me, Dr. John Leith, he said that if the Christian faith doesn't have anything to say at a funeral, it doesn't have anything to say at all. Meaning that if we don't have anything to say about the biggest issue of our lives, which is the issue of life and death, then we have nothing worth saying at all and as i've thought about that as i've thought about the context of this week and i've thought about our passage for this week i wanted us to really look at this passage and understand that that the the passage that we're about to read through that lens since the beginning of 2022 we've been studying the book of hebrews and today as we think about those memorial services and especially as we come to the lord's table today we're going to pause and reflect on what we've learned In the book of Hebrews so far for our scripture reading today let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2 beginning in verse 6 and reading through verse 10 now these are gonna be familiar verses because we have already spent some time with them but in chapter 2 beginning in verse 6 the author of Hebrews writes this it has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask that today, O Lord, you would speak to us of unchanging things, of eternal things amidst the many changing words of our generation. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have been emphasizing the supremacy of Jesus as it is presented to us in the book of Hebrews. He is the greatest. He is greater than the prophets. He is greater than the angels. He is greater even than Moses. He is the greatest of all times. In other words, he was more He is the heir of all things through whom also God created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see everything in subjection to him with nothing outside his control. He is superior to the prophets. He is superior to angels. He is superior to Moses and he is God's own son. He is more. Jesus was more. But Hebrews also tells us that even though he was more, for our sake, he became less. But we see him for a a little while was made lower than the angels. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That is to say, flesh and blood. He himself has suffered when tempted because he is able to keep Uh, to help those who are being tempted he endured suffering and death and he was made like his brothers that's us in every respect so he was more and he became less but why did jesus do this well it tells us in verse 9 the author of hebrews tells us in verse 9 and says jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death he was crowned with glory and honor because of suffering and death So that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, why is this so important for the author of Hebrews? Why is this argument so important to make? Well, let's remember that the brothers and sisters to whom he was speaking were suffering for their faith and I mean suffering like most of us will never have to suffer or never have suffered for our faith they were suffering like people in Iran and Korea and China places like that where they were truly suffering for their faith they were enduring persecution they had lost freedom and property they knew what it means to be rejected by family and friends for Jesus sake and to suffer for their faith and they were asking Can we really trust jesus can we really believe in him do we dare bet our lives on him i mean think about it when your friends and your family turn their backs on you and when people won't do business with you and when the romans or soldiers come knocking at your door you start asking yourself are we really better off following jesus and the plea of the author of hebrews is don't give up don't don't fall back don't lose heart jesus is worth it he says i know that the struggles right now are hard and the pain of right now is real and the temptations of this moment seem overwhelming but whatever our suffering whatever our temptations whatever compromises we feel we have to survive we have to we feel we have to make to survive We don't want to drift away from the truth and the promises of God. It's not time to abort. It's not time to reconsider. It's not time to compromise our faith. It's time to double down. And this whole book is about trust. It's about whom you should trust and why you should trust Him. And that's a really important theme for us these days, too because these days we don't know whom we can trust anymore. I mean, whom do you trust and why? Whom do you trust for morals and ethics, in matters of life and death, in moments of temptation with your now, your right now and your forever? I mean, do you trust the news? Do you trust the weatherman? We've been over that before. Do you trust schools or politicians or scientists? Or government agencies? Who do you trust? And the whole argument up to this point is that we must trust Jesus. And not just trust Him with the little things, but we must trust Him with our lives, even to the point of death. This is serious. Christianity is not just about a compromised lifestyle. The suffering we're talking about is not just about lost business opportunities or lost political influence or social standing. This is about life and death. And these people, they were scared to death. Is following Jesus really worth losing everything else? That is the existential question they were asking themselves. So I want to go back to one of the most important themes in this first movement of the book of Hebrews. Again, look at verse 9. Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. why did jesus taste death for everyone the author of hebrews tells us this so that through death listen to this so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and listen to verse 15 and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery Notice that Jesus did not just come to save us from death itself, but from the fear of death. When the author of Hebrews talks about the fear of death as being a lifelong slavery, what he means is that long before we die, even before we die, we are gripped by the fear of death. And through that fear, death itself has power over us death is real none of us can deny that but so too is our fear of it the fear of death is the sum of all of our other fears because it is ultimately the fear of loss Death is the sum of all our fears. It's the fear that we will lose the people we love, that we will lose the life we know, that we will lose our comfort, that we will lose our control, that we will lose our dignity, that we'll lose our stuff, that we'll lose our connections, that we'll lose our freedom, that we'll lose everything familiar and beloved, that we will lose everything we know. It is the fear of the loss of existence itself. We are scared of losing all those things and it scares us to death. In his great science fiction epic Dune, Frank Herbert declares that every fear is a little death. That added together, all of those little fears bring total obliteration. In other words, we do not die all at once. We die a little bit at a time. Death is the sum of all our fears. And if you don't think that's true, I want you to consider this. The fear of death affects our political opinions and our decisions, and it affects our personal relationships. It affects the way we spend, give, and save money, It affects the way we eat, how we exercise. It it affects the risks that we are willing to tolerate when we travel. And in large part, it determines with whom we are willing to meet. It affects what medicines we allow into our bodies and whom we trust for medical advice. It affects whom we trust as leaders, even as babysitters, and all those who we allow into our circle of trust. And you know what? As 21st century people, our knowledge, our technology, our culture, our medicine, our energy, all these things tempt us to believe that we've evolved to the point where we are in control. But disease still affects us. Violence still hurts us. Poverty still stalks us. Age still chases us down. And fear reminds us that we remain mortal. Death is the ultimate reminder that there are just some things that are too powerful for us. And many of the people who read this letter originally, who heard this sermon preached originally, for many of them professing Christianity, calling Jesus Christ Savior and Lord was starting to look like a a one-way ticket to suffering and maybe even a death sentence. Again, consider modern Christians in places like China, North Korea, Iran. they were beginning to think it was a death sentence. The author of Hebrews is telling them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not a death sentence. It's a declaration of life. The gospel is not just about accepting the reality of our mortality. It's about redefining that mortality by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us bring you into his presence what are you saying is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus God has proven his sovereignty over life and death not just for him but for us why because he tasted death for everyone it's not just true for Jesus this is true for you and it's true for the people that you love as well and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the promise of ours and he lives and as he lives so will we live Jesus became mortal and bet his own life to prove that God can save us even from death. He gave his own life. He became less to prove that God's promises of eternal life are not empty promises. And by his resurrection, he proved that there is more to this world and there's more to this life than the death and the suffering that we see around us. The great Puritan theologian John Owen declared that the resurrection, he, excuse me, the great Puritan theologian John Owen declared the resurrection to be the death of death. That means that death is dead because death is no longer permanent. It no longer lasts forever. Death does not get the last word. The grave has lost its grip. Disease is not the end. Pain is not the end. Murder is not the end. Suicide is not the end. Tragedy is not the end. Death has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. We don't have to be afraid of it anymore, and it should no longer strike fear into our lives. It it should no longer intimidate us because it is no longer the end. It is the beginning. Now, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus told his disciples, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. You don't have to be afraid of your death or my death. When Jesus sat at table with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. By the grace of God, he was going to taste death for everyone. For our sakes. He lived the human life no human could live and died the death that all of us deserve and all of us fear so that we can know the love of God, the love of God that the Father made us to know, so that we can have the destiny that He created us to have. He paid the price for every lousy, selfish sin that we've ever committed and got what we deserve so that we can get what He deserves. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what he has done for you. That is what he has done for me. That is what he has done for us. And then he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. this table is a reminder a tangible physical real reminder of what christ has really done for us it is a reminder that his body was broken and his blood poured out to prove god's love for you and to prove that it is as real as the bread that you put into your mouth and the cup that you bring to your lips he tasted death for everyone. The word taste is an interesting choice of words here, isn't it? There's a poetic symmetry here with the Lord's table and with the Psalms because the truth is that Jesus tasted death for everyone so that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalms. When you come to the table, we come to taste and see that the Lord is good, that his steadfast love endures forever, because he tasted death for everyone. This table is our physical reminder that for a little while he was made lower than angels. That he himself suffered and was tempted. That he was made like his brothers in every respect. That he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And today when you taste this bread, when you taste this cup, when you come to this table, remember what he has done for you. The Son of Man became less. He reduced himself to a broken and bloody body on the cross. So that we could become more he tasted death so that we could taste the depth of god's love for us and see the glory of his resurrection power and eternal life he tasted death to set us free from the fear of death and all the little deaths that kill us a little bit every day and he tasted the bitterness of death and lived so that we would not be afraid And so that we would hold on and taste the sweetness of life in him. He tasted death so that we could taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, later this afternoon at 3 o'clock, we're going to gather again in the sanctuary to celebrate the life of Lloyd Jean Williams. Lloyd Jean was a long-time staff member of this church and a friend to many people in this room ever longer than I knew her. You may know Lloyd Jean. You may have known her. You knew that she had serious health problems. She had serious problems in her family. She was essentially bound to a wheelchair the entire time that I know her or knew her. But you know, that's not how I'm going to remember her, with her problems, her physical challenges, That's not the way most people are gonna remember her. What most people are gonna remember is that no matter how hard things got in her life, if you asked her how she was doing, she would say, I am so blessed. Lloyd Jean's health was an obstacle for much of her life, as were several other things. But no matter what she might be facing, She trusted in her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ beyond the troubles of the moment. And because she trusted in Jesus, she wasn't afraid of dying. She was ready to get on with living. And that faith affected everything she did and every conversation she had and every relationship that she enjoyed. And people ask me all the time, aren't funerals hard? Well, yes, they're hard because we hate losing the people we love. We miss them. But then, you meet somebody like Lloyd Jean, who was so convicted that Jesus Christ had tasted death for everyone, that all she could taste in her mouth was that the Lord is good, and that His steadfast love endures forever. That's what she knew. And she embodied the words of our funeral liturgy that say that she lived as one prepared to die and died as one prepared to live. Jesus not only gave his life so that we would no longer fear death, he gave his life so that we would no longer fear living. Especially living for him. For our sakes, he became less so that we could become more. Would you pray with me? Lord, our God, as we come to your table today, we remember that you are the one who gathers us, and it is in you that we live and move and have our being. So, Lord, help us to hear the words of your truth. Help us to set aside dying and to get on with living, especially living for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.